Blog Talk Radio. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. And you can send messages to the show a, on the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan, and B, on Twitter at GoForGan. Great show lined up for you today. Expect to be joined by Philadelphia Eagles defensive end Everett Brown, who will discuss the OTAs that's been going on in Philadelphia this week and discuss the upcoming season. Uh, Everett, newest member of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, coming back after being out of football for a year. So this is an opportunity for him in Philadelphia. And we're going to talk to Everett about some of the things going on in the Eagles. We also were expected to be joined by Devin Alexander, but we're going to have to reschedule him. Something came up for him. So we're going to bring him back uh, another day. But uh, So we're going to have Everett Brown on tonight. And let's start now with the Eastern Conference Finals, the Miami Heat, and the Indiana Pacers last night in Miami. LeBron James. LeBron James. LeBron James. LeBron James. LeBron James. I mean, that's all you can say. I mean, that's that's all you can say after what you saw last night, how he, you know, not only went into the huddle and, you know what, got into the butts of his Miami Heat teammates. I mean, he got into them. He laid into them. Step your game up. Step your game up. And not only did he do the talking, but as we saw in that third quarter, he did the walking as he came out and dominated. 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 The Miami Heat. I mean, the Indiana Pacers in that third quarter. Absolutely dominated them. Assisted and scored on 25 of Miami's 30 points in the third quarter. I mean, he did everything. He did absolutely everything in that particular game. Everything. Everything. I mean, anything and everything he did. He took over that game. He was absolutely special. And at the end of that game, end of that uh, third quarter, the game was pretty much a wrap. It was pretty much a wrap. Pretty much a wrap. And the Miami Heat take a 3-2 series lead. LeBron James, 30 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. 8, 30 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. I mean, he was absolutely dominant. 
It, it was just domination by LeBron James. He took over the game. He did what superstars do in big moments. He took over the game. He took over the game. And the thing about it is, you know, the uh, the impressive part was how he went into that huddle and got into the faces of his teammates, used some words that you can't say on television or radio, and basically said, you know what? It's time. It's time to step up our play. It's time. It's time to show who we are and what we are. And you know who's going to lead the way? I am. LeBron James led the way. LeBron James led the way. LeBron James led the way. Led the way. I mean, he was absolutely amazing. Breathtaking, his performance. Spectacular. That's what we want our superstars to do. And and what we saw last night is what we've always expected out of LeBron James. It's always what we wanted out of LeBron James. Yes, we've seen these type of explosions before. You know, the Miami, I mean, the one thing that comes to mind is Detroit. When he, when he was with the Cavaliers, how he scored 48 points, scored the final 25 points um, in that particular game for his ball club. I mean, we've seen this before. We've seen this before. And LeBron James was special. He was absolutely special. 20 points in that third quarter. 20 points. 20 points in that third quarter. 20 points. And, you know, you look at the Heat, Dwayne Wade playing on a bum knee, and, you know, you're not getting everything you can out of him. LeBron James is going to have to be special. Udonis Haslam stepped up. He stepped up. And ultimately, everybody stepped up for the Heat in, in terms of James and Haslam. Those two guys stepped up. And and stepping up, they may have taken over. They've taken over the series at this point, up three games to two. But now, moving forward, what happens? Is this series over? Do the Pacers have something else left? Do they have another performance in them? Do they have another winning performance in them? Or is it going to be a situation now where the Heat take over this series, and put this series away. I said at the start of this series, I expected it, this series to go seven, and I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to stick with that. I believe this series will go seven. I believe this series will go seven. And I believe that, of course, the Miami Heat will win. They're going to the NBA Finals. They're going to the NBA Finals. I said LeBron James had 20 points in that third quarter. He actually had 16 points in that third quarter. Outscored the Pacers by three points as a team. Him, LeBron James, 7 for 10 for the field. The Pacers, 3 for 14. Him, LeBron James, 2 for 4 from downtown. The Pacers, 0 for 2 from downtown. 0 for 2 from downtown. 
Him, LeBron James, no turnovers. The Pacers, five. So it's you're looking at this whole game, you're looking at that third quarter, and it was takeover time. And LeBron James took it over and ultimately to Pete won game five. But I expect the Pacers aren't done. This is a tough team. I expect them to come out with a solid effort tomorrow night in Indiana. I expect them to come back and play Pacer-type basketball. I expect expect them to have a big-time performance. And at that point, I expect Game 7 to be somewhat of a – I expect Game 7 to kind of go the way Game 5 went with the Heat putting them away. And fourth quarter really being not really competitive. I mean, the fourth quarter, if you look at it, really was not all that competitive in this particular ball game. You knew the Pacers really did not have a shot. And as you look at the Pacers and what they got yesterday from their front court, and to me that's always going to be big, the points they can get from their front court. I mean, David West 17-8, and eight, Paul George 27-11, and 11, and Roy Hibbert 22-6. and six. I've always said that, you know, the, the front court was going to be the key, and you knew you would get those points out of the Pacer front court. Uh, now, obviously, David West, he's been hovering around that, you know, 17 to 20-point area throughout the course of this series. I mean, his lowest point total in this series was uh, 13, but 26 in game one, 13 in game two, 21 in game number three. I mean, in this series, he's averaging 18 points a game. So those 18 points from David West truly has been big. Those 18 points per game has been big. Paul George has been stellar. Roy Hibbert, stellar as well. But here was the problem for the Indiana Pacers, and I've said this last week in talking about the Indiana Pacers. They have the advantage in the front court. We know that. But the problem becomes their guard play. George Hill, zero for four, only one point. Lance Stevenson, only four points. You need more production out of George Hill if you want to have success in this series. You need more production out of George Hill. You look at game number one where the uh, George Hill and the Miami and the Indiana Pacers lost, 103 to 102. George Hill only had five points. You look at game two, a game that the Indiana Pacers won, George Hill had 18 points. You look at game three, where the uh, Indiana Pacers lost, Miami Heat won that game. George Hill was impressive with 19 points as well. And then you look at game four, where George Hill had 19, 19 points again, and also the Pacers won that game. So George Hill, his production is going to be key in this series, and he didn't bring it yesterday. He just didn't bring it yesterday, and he only had, only had one point. You can't expect that. That's going to be tough to win against the Miami Heat when George Hill only scores one point. You look at Lance Stevenson. When he scores in double figures, the Pacers win in this series. Game two, he scores 10 points. Pacers win. Game four, he scores 20 points. Pacers win. Games one, two, and five, seven, seven, and four. Seven in game one, seven in game three, four in game five. So the point I'm trying to make is this. You're going to need production out of your guards. Lance Stevenson and George Hill 
got to give you more than five points combined. they got to give you more than five points combined. You can't expect to win this series when you're only getting five combined points out of George Hill and Lance Stevenson. You just can't. You just can't. And it's going to be difficult for the Indiana Pacers moving forward if they continue to get that type of production out of George Hill and Lance Stevenson. Those guys have to be bigger if the Indiana Pacers want to truly advance in this series. Those guys need to be bigger if they want to advance. And I'm looking at this Pacer team, and I I think George Hill and Lane Stevenson can give you more. And as I said last week, and as we know, if you watch the sport of basketball, the reality is role players are at their best at home. George Hill and Lane Stevenson have to do more than just five combined points if the Indiana Pacers want to win. That's just bottom line. You can't expect to get five points out of your starting uh, shooting guard and, and point guard and expect to win and beat the Miami Heat. You have to have all hands on deck when it comes to the Miami Heat. You have to. They just have too much. They just have too much. So you're going to need production out of George Hill and Lance Stevenson if you want to have the type of success that you want to have in Indiana. That's just the bottom line. Do I think this series can go seven? I do. I predicted seven. I believe it still will go seven. And I expect a better performance out of George Hill and Lance Stevenson in game six. I expect a better performance out of those two. You got to get better. And I expect them to be better. And ultimately, by them being better, that will be enough for the Indiana Pacers to get to a seventh game. As I said last week, I'll say it again. In a perfect scenario, in a perfect world, in a dream world, in Paul Gant's dream world, here's what he likes to see happen. He likes he would like to see the Indiana Pacers win Saturday night. And he would like this series to go seven. But in that seventh game, he wants to see the Miami Heat win. He wants to see the Heat and Spurs in the NBA Finals. To me... Superstars sell the sport of the sell the NBA. The NBA has always sold its superstars, from Michael Jordan to LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Shaq. The list goes on and on. The NBA sells superstars, and these guys, LeBron, D Wade, they're superstars. That's who I want to see. So in my perfect world, Indiana wins tomorrow. But the Heat put it away in a grueling, grinded-out seven-game series. That's what I want to see. But even if the Miami Heat were to get to the NBA Finals, would it truly be enough? Would it truly be enough? Will they truly have enough in terms of beating that well-oiled machine they call the San Antonio Spurs. Will they have enough? D-Wade, D-Wade only three for eight last night. D-Wade's not looking like the D-Wade 
that we all know and love is not looking like that guy. And this series is only averaging 15 points a game. He's only averaging 15 points a game. So bottom line, point blank, even if they get by the Indiana Pacers, will the Miami Heat have enough to beat the San Antonio Spurs? We'll get back to that in a moment, and I'll let you know in a moment. But I want to go to this story with the Los Angeles Clippers and Chris Paul and Chris Paul being angry with the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers, Donald T. Sterling. His anger, his anger is because, according to some sources, that Donald Sterling implied and told, as he told the Los Angeles Times, that, you know what? Donald Sterling said this. This is what he said when asked this simple question. When asked this simple question, was Del Negro fired just to hang on to Chris Paul? When asked that question, Donald Sterling replied, I always want to be honest and not say anything that is not true. So I'd rather not say anything. But, you know, the coach did a really good job. I think he did. And I liked working with him. There are just factors that make life very complicated and very challenging. The Times also asked Donald Sterling, was it all face to say that the players are now calling the shots? Sterling replied, no, you're not all face. This is a player's league. And unfortunately, if you want to win, you have to make the players happy. He went on to also say, if you have special players, and special players think they know the best opportunity to win, you have to support them. Well, I put it to you like this. Obviously, he did not answer the question directly. He didn't answer the question directly. He said he wanted to be honest. He didn't answer the question directly. That's, that's you know, he didn't answer the question directly. And he couldn't answer the question directly. And he basically said, I'd rather not say anything. Here's the bottom line with this whole situation. And I'll take you back to 2010 when LeBron James made that infamous decision on national TV where he decided to take his talents to South Beach. When he decided to take his talents to South Beach. You know what? The bottom line was that with that whole situation was this. You look at the whole coach situation with the coaching staff. And I say to myself, okay, at the time Mike Brown was the head coach. Ultimately, Mike Brown would get fired. So I say, I say this, if LeBron James really wanted Mike Brown as the coach of Cleveland, don't you think Mike Brown would have stayed the coach of Cleveland? So I, I think that you get the sense that obviously Mike Brown, I mean, excuse me, obviously LeBron James was not the biggest fan of Mike Brown because if he was, Mike Brown still would have been coaching the Cleveland Cavaliers, bottom line, at that, at that point in time. So here's where I'm going with this, and here's where you get the analogy. Here's where you get the comparison, I should say. Chris Paul is a free agent. Chris Paul is the best player on the Los Angeles Clippers team. Don't you think if the Clippers were, were and wanted to resign Chris Paul, they would 
find a coach that he is comfortable with. Don't you think if Chris Paul was truly comfortable with Vinny Del Negro that he would still be the coach of the Los Angeles Clippers? Don't you think Vinny Del Negro still would be the coach of the Clippers if Chris Paul wanted him to be the coach? Of course. Of course. So bottom line is this. This is the bottom line here. Obviously, Vinny Del Negro and Chris Paul, apparently, according to reports, they did get along together. They had a decent relationship. But obviously, from my standpoint, Chris Paul really did not want Vinny Del Negro as his coach. That's pretty much the bottom line. Because if he did, and Chris Paul can be angry all he wants, and maybe it's a situation where he doesn't want to be the bad guy. Or maybe this is an exit strategy for Chris Paul. Who knows? Maybe this is all part of the exit strategy. Let me act like I'm mad at the Clippers for them accusing me of having something to do with the coaching staff and deciding who's going to be the coach. Maybe this is Chris Paul's way of getting out and going and teaming up with Dwight Howard in Atlanta. Maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe. But bottom line is this. Bottom line is this. If Chris Paul really wanted Vinny Del Negro to be the coach of the Los Angeles Clippers, Vinny Del Negro would still be the coach of the Los Angeles Clippers. Just like if Mike Brown, if LeBron James wanted Mike Brown to be the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers back in 2010 when he was deciding on whether he would go to Miami, Cleveland, or anywhere else. Don't you think Mike Brown would still be the coach of the Cavaliers? Obviously, he would. So as much as Chris Paul is is, is angry, as much as he is angry with the Clipper organization, as much as he's angry with the Clipper organization, bottom line is this. If Vinny Del, if Chris Paul wanted Vinny Del Negro to be the coach, Vinny Del Negro would be the coach of the Los Angeles Clippers. If he really wanted him to be the coach, he would be the coach. So, again, it's a case of Chris Paul probably not wanting to be the bad guy. Not wanting to be the bad guy. And as the source told ESPN, here's what the source told ESPN, quote, he's angry right now, and his anger is directed towards the Clippers organization. Chris is a man of principle, and he feels like you're going against his principles. It will affect how he feels about you. He's very agitated. That is, his name has been put out there as a reason for Vinny's firing. He had nothing to do with it. And then maybe he he did not have anything to do with it directly. But don't you think, don't you think if he really wanted Vinny Del Negro as the coach of the Los Angeles Clippers, he would have made that known, whether in the media or privately? I, I, I think he would have made that known. I think he would have made 
that known. And the bottom line is this. Bottom line is this. Chris Paul's a free agent. He has a decision to make. Does he stay with the Clippers, a team on the up and up, a lot of depth, Blake Griffin, guys with a lot of ability on that roster? Or does he decide to maybe go to Dallas, maybe go to Houston, who has a lot of cap room? Maybe he goes to Atlanta with his good buddy Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard, who was an Atlanta boy, a Georgia boy. Maybe. That's the move he makes. That's the decision he goes. Maybe he goes elsewhere. Maybe he goes elsewhere. Maybe he goes to Atlanta. Maybe he goes to Dallas. Maybe he goes to the Rockets. Should be interesting. I think his best bet, his best bet, Probably would be the Clippers, but you go to Atlanta, team up with Dwight Howard, who knows? Dwight Howard, a guy who played this whole season unhealthy. In terms of his back, he was not 100%. His back was not 100%. And because of it, you know, maybe he wasn't a player that we all knew and loved on the court. Maybe. So... I mean, you know, I, I think no matter what decision he makes, whether it is the Fal with the Fal I say the Falcons, whether it is with the Hawks, and whether he does decide to team up with Dwight Howard in Atlanta, maybe they team up in Atlanta. Regardless of where he goes, whether it's that decision or whether it's Dallas, Dallas will be a good destination, and the Clippers. I mean, he, he can't go wrong with the Clippers, and again, he can get the most money with the Clippers. He can get the most money with the Clippers. But we'll see how that goes. Speaking of Dwight Howard. Speaking of Dwight Howard. Sources are telling ESPN.com that the Rockets have, quote, unquote, hopeful signals that Dwight Howard is seriously considering a jump from the Lakers to the Rockets after becoming a free agent. July 1. Wow. Now, this would be a big steal for the Rockets to go along with what they already have with James Harden. And the Rockets right now, they're trying to, according to reports, they're trying to move the number five pick and also trying to trade Thomas Robinson to get their salary cap in order to make a run at Dwight Howard to make a legitimate run at Dwight Howard. And also because of the absence of, because of no state tax in Texas, you know, obviously the Lakers can offer Dwight Howard $30 million more, but with the tax implications, it evens out a little more. It, it is, it's not that he's not leaving behind that much money. And if Dwight Howard, many believe that he's truly, he truly was not comfortable being in L.A., not comfortable with that the spotlight of the Lakers. And, and you know, it, it's a different animal than what he's used to, totally different than Orlando. I mean, they expect a lot with the Lakers in Los Angeles. They expect a lot. Maybe it's just not for him, but obviously he's a guy that you got the sense was looking to be almost Shaq-like in some respect. 
in terms of going to L.A. and and and, and kind of getting his acting uh, shoes on and things of that nature. Obviously, uh, at this point, you never heard anything about music. You know, Shaq was big into music. But Shaq, when he went to L.A., you know, he became larger in life. Maybe Dwight Howard is trying to follow the footsteps. And, you know, you got the sense that that was his thinking, following the footsteps of Shaq and going to L.A. and, you know, living up Hollywood, enjoying Hollywood. Just a bigger media market for him. Shaq left Orlando. Dwight Howard left Orlando. And they went to, quote, unquote, greener pastures. At least for Shaq, it was greener. For Dwight Howard, not so green. A lot of brown in that grass in Los Angeles when Dwight Howard went over to the to the Lakers. And the funny thing about this, you know, and I said this way back, way back when the Lakers put their team together with Nash and with Dwight Howard. I said, you know what, this has the potential of being great, but it also has the potential of blowing up in the face of the Los Angeles Lakers. And you look at the whole situation. You look at the situation with uh, Steve Nash broke down and, uh, near the end of the season, was broken down throughout the course of the season. Injuries were a big part of his season with the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, Steve Nash was injured throughout the course of the season. Injured throughout the course of the season. So he pretty much was broke. Well, I, I don't want to call him broke down, but this season he broke down a little bit. I don't want to say completely broke down, but, he, you know, you, you're seeing some the breaking down of Steve Nash. He only played 50 games this year. Only played 50 games, only played two games in the postseason. So missed 32 games for the Lakers. Guess what? He's 39 years old. So in February of next year, 2014, he'll be 40. So the, the, you're going to expect his production to dwindle. I don't think you're going to expect the same. You can't expect the same Steve Nash. It's going to be 40. And we see Father Time is starting to get the best of Steve Nash in terms of the injuries. In terms of the injuries, Father Time is starting to get the best of Steve Nash. I mean, only played 65. He missed 17 games last year with the Suns. And again, he missed 32 with the Lakers. He seemed to be in and out of the lineup throughout the course of the season with the Los Angeles Lakers. Again, finally just wasn't, just couldn't do it in the playoffs. Just could not play in the playoffs. Just was too much for old Stevie Nash. But again, I said this back when this happened. This thing could be special or this thing could be a nightmare. And Dwight Howard, Dwight Mayer, as the many called the whole situation last year, well, two seasons ago with his situation with Orlando, I mean, it could be revisiting itself. Because the bottom line is this, Dwight Howard, if he goes, you know, that's going to be big. Steve Nash, obviously not the same player. Kobe Bryant has the Achilles injury. We don't know if he'll ever be the same player off of that this late in his career. So, wow. You got to say, this is the whole thing. If if Dwight Howard goes and you have the whole situation with Kobe, 
you know, not sure when he's going to come back. He'll be back next season. But when is the key and how good will he be? The Lakers could be in rebuilding mode that quick. That quick. I mean, we assume that Kobe can come back, but we don't know. And Achilles injury is a major injury. That's a major injury. That's not simple. That's not a simple injury. That is a major injury. So we don't know what Kobe Bryant will be come next season. So you take Dwight Howard out of the equation, take Kobe Bryant out of the equation for a significant amount of time, and Steve Nash, Pal Gasol's team. It's going to be Steve Nash and Pal Gasol's team. And, you know, there's nothing other than Nash and Gasol and Nash how much does he, like I said before, how much does he really scare you at this stage of his career? The Lakers are going to be in some trouble. They are going to be into some, some serious trouble. And, again, they may be in rebuild, rebuilding mode in L.A. And, obviously, Dwight Howard, you know, a lot of people are saying he did not get along. Well, not necessarily get, didn't get along with uh, Mike D'Antoni, but he was not a fan of the D'Antoni system. And you looked at the whole season, it was obvious that the system did not fit Dwight Howard. But I kind of thought, you know, I don't think it took a genius or a rocket scientist to figure that out. I mean, going in to that season, it didn't take much to figure out that Mike D'Antoni's system was not going to work with the cast of characters assembled by the Lakers. That's why it didn't make sense at the time. Still doesn't make sense today that the Lakers decided to bring in Mike D'Antoni instead of Phil Jackson. Does not make any type of sense whatsoever. Still doesn't to this day. And because of that decision, you may have set back this franchise four to five years. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe LeBron James comes in 2014 when he can opt out. Maybe. After 2014. But the thing is this. The thing is this. That decision to hire Mike D'Antoni could be what cost his Laker franchise for many years to come. I mean, how, and granted, I don't know if you could put this completely and directly on Mike D'Antoni, but Kobe was playing a lot of minutes before that Achilles injury happened. I mean, Kobe was playing some serious minutes for the Lakers. Some serious minutes. Serious minutes. Near the end of that season, near the end of last season, big time minutes. I mean, this guy's 34 years old. And and let me just break it down for you. The final seven games for the Lakers and Kobe Bryant, well, Kobe Bryant's final seven games, let me just give you the minute breakdown. Against the Sacramento Kings, 48 minutes. Against the Dallas Mavericks, a couple nights later, 
47 minutes against the Memphis Grizzlies three days later. 43 minutes against the Los Angeles Clippers two days later. 47 minutes against the New Orleans Hornets two days later. 41 minutes in a back-to-back situation against the Portland Trailblazers. 48 minutes. And finally, against the Golden State Warriors, when it all finally broke down for Kobe Bryant. 45 minutes. And that's not playing parts of that fourth quarter. So the point is, he was basically driven into the ground. He was driven into the ground. And the point I'm trying to make is, let's just say Phil Jackson was the coach. And one of the reasons he was driven into the ground is because the Lakers had to do what they had to do to get into the playoffs. The only way they were getting into the playoffs, theoretically, it was was on the back of Kobe Bryant. That's the only way they could have got there. And Kobe Bryant put him in position. Ultimately, Kobe Bryant missed the final few games, and the rest of the guys stepped up and put the Lakers over the top. But the thing about it is, you go back to the decision to bring in Mike D'Antoni, and you look at the whole decision not to bring in Phil Jackson, maybe if Phil Jackson is the coach, the Lakers do not have to try as hard as they needed to try. Maybe they didn't need to try as hard as they did to get into the playoffs. And they tried to try very hard. And one of the ways to get into the playoffs, and one of the ways they were able to at least get into the playoffs and get that seven seed was because of Kobe Bryant. That's the only way they could have got there. And they had to ride him all the way there. But maybe you're not in that position if Phil Jackson is there a guy who seemingly would have a better handle on that roster and would seemingly put guys in position to be a lot more successful than Mike D'Antoni did with the Los Angeles Lakers. Maybe. And again, it's a stretch. I know. It's truly a stretch. I'm making a stretch, obviously, in terms of making that uh, call and saying that the decision not to bring in Phil Jackson may have cost Kobe Bryant a good part of the 2013-2014 season. Maybe it does, maybe it didn't. I don't know. Maybe Kobe still would have played those type of minutes. Maybe Phil Jackson and the Lakers still would have been in the same position that Mike D'Antoni and the Lakers were in, and that is fighting for their playoff lives. Maybe. Maybe. But bottom line is this. If Dwight Howard leaves, the Lakers franchise is going to be in big trouble for some time. They're going to be in trouble. I said five years might not be that long. Might not be that long but they're going to be in trouble. They're going to be in some serious, serious trouble. And speaking of trouble, it just came down. Birdman Anderson, Chris Anderson, has been suspended for game one for his shove. I mean, he just ran into Tyler Hansborough in that particular game, but he now is suspended for game six. That has to help the Pacers. That helps the Pacers. That's one less active big that the Pacers have to worry about in that particular game. And, you know, that's one less person to put on Roy Hibbert and David West and those boys. 
So that truly, truly has to help the Indiana Pacers. We'll see how much it really helps. And some sad, sad news. Speaking of the NBA, and we're staying in the NBA, but a former NBA player, Mookie Blaylock, reportedly is on life support after a serious car crash in Atlanta. Apparently he crossed the median into ongoing traffic and was struck by another vehicle head-on. That injured two people in that car. One of the people in that one, a female in that car apparently suffered some internal bleeding. That's a sad story. Mookie Blaylock, a very good point guard for many years in the NBA. A very good point guard for many years. And now at this point he is on life support fighting for his life, for his life. Man, that's tough. You wish Mookie... I wish Mookie Blaylock and his family, and they have my prayers at this point. Wish him nothing but the best in this situation. They have my prayers at this point. I mean, that's a sad situation. That's truly a sad situation. Mookie Blaylock, a guy, like I said, a very good point guard, very good defensive point guard, shoot the basketball a little bit as well on life support. That's sad. But again, our prayers go out to Mookie Blaylock and his family, and we hope, hope he can recover. Hopefully he can recover. Guys have come back from life support before. Mookie Blaylock, I believe, can do it as well. But our prayers go out to him. And and our prayers also go out to Titus Young. Uh, We all know Titus Young, guy going through some serious, serious issues right now. Arrested three times in one week earlier this month. I mean, three times in one week, including twice in one day. I mean, that's just a guy screaming and yelling out for help. I mean, this guy has gotten himself into a lot of trouble. But reports are that they tried, the NFL tried, to help Titus Young last year. Apparently, according to someone in, inner, in, in Titus Young's inner circle, apparently someone in Titus Young's inner circle approached Troy Vincent, uh, the league's director of player engagement, the NFL's director of player engagement, former Eagle, former Dolphin, Troy Vincent, former Buffalo Bill, Troy Vincent, Apparently someone in Titus Young's inner circle, Titus Young's close friends or family, reached out to Troy Vincent and said, you know, they were very concerned about him. And according to Troy Vincent, he tried multiple times, multiple times, multiple, multiple times. This is according to a Yahoo Sports report. He tried multiple times to work with Titus Young. And Troy Troy Vincent said this, we were told he was not interested in support. We went to people very close to to his center of influence to reach out to see how we can support him. The response was someone who is not open arms to being supported. 
So it's good to know that at least they tried. It's good to know that someone tried to reach out to Titus Young and try to give him help. I mean, this is a kid, obviously, with some of his action, is screaming out for help. Absolutely screaming out for help. And you hope, and I hope, and pray that Titus Young gets the help that he needs. I mean, at this point, he is facing possibly 10 years in prison on charges of burglary, attempted burglary, and insulting, and also assaulting police. He's also being charged, or they're considering charges in California for DUI and burglary. So this is a guy who's in some serious, serious trouble. He's in some serious trouble right now, and he needs help. It's good to know that the NFL tried to help him. It's good to know. It's a young guy, a young guy at this point. So he can theoretically get his issues in order and come back and and come back into the league. But, again, he's not going to be any good to anybody in in his current condition. He's just not. He's not going to be any good to anybody. He's not going to be any good to anybody unless he gets the necessary help that he needs. And it's very evident, it's very obvious that he needs help, a lot of it. He needs a lot of it at this point. And so hopefully, I mean, will will prison change him? He's only 23 years old. Will will going to jail make him a better person? I don't know. Most people I know go to jail. They don't come out better. Come out worse. But, I mean, hopefully, you know, he can get himself some help. And whether jail works for him and gets some help, maybe that's where he needs to go. Or whether he needs to go into some type of rehab facility or some kind of facility that can... Give him the emotional help that he needs. He needs help. It's very obvious by his erratic behavior that he needs some kind of help. He needs it. People don't get arrested three times in one in one week and be fine. You you don't get you don't get arrested three times in one week. And be fine. You just don't. That does not happen. If you're arrested three times in one day, including twice, I mean, excuse me, three times in one week, including twice in one day, you got problems. You got some serious, serious problems. And you need help. That's very evident. That's very obvious. But again, at least, according to Troy Vincent, at least the NFL tried to do something. Kudos to the NFL for that, because we can get on the NFL for a lot of things. We definitely can. But this is one time where we can applaud the NFL for 
at least trying to help Titus Young. At least trying to help him. I mean, the, the, the guy obviously needs help. 23 years old, still young, still a lot of time to get himself right. Still a lot of time to get himself to be better. A lot of time to be better. Hopefully, he takes this time now to get better and to become a better person off the field, and hopefully that can lead to another opportunity for him on the field. We shall see what happens to Titus Young moving forward. I want to go back to the NBA now, and and Birdman Anderson suspended game six for the Miami Heat for his shove on Tyler's hands, bro. And you saw this coming. I mean, if you you watch the shove, that was suspendable. In today's NBA, that is a, a suspendable offense. I mean, he just absolutely just ran him over, or at least attempted to run him over. Just ran him over. And the funny part, it wasn't even Hansborough who pushed him. It was Paul George who pushed him. But Berman Anderson thinking that it was Hansborough decided to go after Tyler Hansborough and give him a big-time shove. And that's what happened. He gave him a big-time shove. David Stern said he felt like, you know what, Hansborough, um, uh, Berman Anderson, excuse me, probably should have been ejected from that game. He probably should. That that was a, a, a tough little shove by Birdman Anderson. And then a push after that. He pushed Hansborough after he knocked him to the ground. So they're going to, you know, this is, a big, this is a big suspension. Like I said before, Birdman Anderson has been giving the Miami Heat some solid minutes, including last night. Off the bench for the Heat in 18 minutes. He had 16 points in 18 minutes last night. 16 points. Seven for seven from the field last night. That's some good production. That's some good production. And to go along with three blocks and five boards, so you're going to miss him on the defensive end. You're going to miss his rebounding presence as well and his ability to finish around the basket. That's going to be missed. That's going to be missed. And then, you know, in game... Number three, Birdman Anderson in a heat victory, nine points, nine rebounds, darn near a double-double. They're going to miss his production tomorrow. And with this suspension, I think that almost assures that we'll see a game six, excuse me, a game seven. I think that almost guarantees us a game seven. Cross your fingers. Paul Gale might get what he wants. He might get what he wants. A game seven, Monday night in Miami. Paul Gale might get what he wants. 
Now that Berman Anderson is suspended for game six, Paul Gant might get what he wants. The crowd loves it. The crowd absolutely loves it. I might get what I want, folks. I might get a game seven. I might get a game seven. The kids agree. Uh, They're happy. I'm happy. We might get a game seven. But please, please, if we get this game seven, please, Pacers, don't win. Please, Miami, don't let the Pacers win on your home court. I don't want to see a Pacers-Spurs series NBA Finals. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. So please, if we get a game seven, which I think we will, I thought we would before this news, before Berman Anderson's suspension. Now, I I, I definitely believe it's guaranteed that's going to happen. The Pacers are going to win. The Heat are going to miss the production that they got from Berman Anderson. 16 points in 18 minutes last night. 7 for 7 from the field for Berman Anderson. I mean, and it's kind of it's kind of bonus. That that's bonus. That is just bonus points. Bonus points for the Heat to get that type of production out of Birdman Anderson. That's just all gravy. That's truly gravy. Now you're gonna miss that. You're gonna miss that. You're definitely gonna miss that if you're the Heat. And so, I think that assures us a Game 7 Monday night in Miami. I think that almost gives us what we want. That is a grueling, hard seven-game series, and I think the league wants it. But I think we're going to get what we want, and ultimately that's the Miami Heat winning in Game 7 and ultimately getting to the NBA Finals. We'll see. We shall see. But losing Birdman Anderson is going to be big. And I asked a question earlier. I asked a question earlier, even with LeBron James' big-time performance and even with the Heat winning yesterday and even with – it's probably the Heat are going to go to the NBA Finals. With that all being said, will the Heat have enough to beat the San Antonio Spurs. That's going to be very interesting. And I look at it from this standpoint. You know, the Miami Heat throughout the course of these playoffs have not played a team with the firepower of the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, the Miami Heat have not played a team with the firepower of the San Antonio Spurs. They haven't. Chicago Bulls, a team with not a lot of firepower. Missing Derrick Rose. Missing Luau Dang. That's a team that was that did not have the necessary weapons to beat the Miami Heat. 
They just didn't. They just did not. We're going to get to that in a moment. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by Eagles defensive end Everett Brown. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! Thank you, sir. You got it, brother. Have a go, man. And we're back. And we're back. And the Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles have their OTAs going on right now. And, you know, uh, Chip Kelly his first year with the Eagles, and a lot of people have been talking about the pace of the practices. A lot of people have been talking about some of the music selections that's been played during those practices. I mean, the music, Chip Kelly has a way of playing various types of music, and, you know, we're going to talk all about all that with a guy who's been experiencing this over the past few weeks. Let's bring him in now, defensive end for the Philadelphia Eagles, Everett Brown. Everett, how are you, man? Hey, man, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. And, Everett, let's get right down to it. Minicamp OTA is going on right now with the Philadelphia Eagles. Chip Kelly coming in, different type of pace than we're used to seeing in the NFL. Talk about the pace of practices with Chip Kelly. I mean, it, it is, you know, nothing like I've seen before. Um you know, you're definitely going to be the best conditioned team on the field um, each and every week. And, and I mean, the pace in itself, you know, is, is set by us as a player. You know, he's not out there doing a lot of yelling. He's not, you know, having to get on guys to go fast. I mean, it's just his system and the way that he has things structured. Us as players, we just have to, you know, do everything really fast and and maximize our our time uh, while we're on the field. How about the music? I mean, we, we all know that Chip Kelly's been bringing in or blaring in various types of music. Did you like his music selections? <laughs> hey, you know, I, I like all music, um, you know, but he does have, you know, it's a wide range uh, of what may be played each, each day in and out. But, you know, one thing about the music is that it creates chaos for us as players you know, and for coaches, I mean, with communication. So, you know, our communication level is going to be on an all-time high because we're able to communicate uh, with one another on the field while the music is playing. I mean, it simulates, you know, the crowd noise or, you know, any other noise that could distract us during the game. I mean, we're able to go out there and just focus in, you know, at a high level and communicate. But, you know, I'm, I'm all for the music. You know, I greatly appreciate it because, you know, I've had it both ways now. And, and you know, and I like, I like it with music. It, it keeps me going. Now, is there any type of music that was like, was there any type of song that caught you? It was like, oh, man, that's that's my jam. I can't believe that he's playing that. <laughs> well, it was a song uh, by, young, by Young Jeezy, and it's called uh, Get Right. 
You know, and they okay. came on okay. one day. They came on one. They came on one day. Uh, you know, when we were about to stretch. You know, that was the first song to play. And you know, you just saw everybody really, you know, just change gears just by this song coming on just for stretch. You know, and it, right. you know, so I mean, it keeps it interesting and it keeps everybody going. And uh, you know, like I said, I appreciate the music because you know I'm a fan of music myself. So you know, to be able to have music while you're working out, while you while you uh, you know while you're training and, and being able to communicate with the music, I mean, I'm all for it. Now, after being a part of a few Chip Kelly practices at this point, all in all, do you believe his system, which is different, can be successful in the NFL? Well, I feel like it can be successful, um, mainly because, you know, he's going to make sure that he keeps keep guys here, uh, you know, that have a will about him, you know, a will to get things done, a will to win, you know, and that's what you want, um, you know, in a team. I mean, you, you want guys who – you know, no matter what, you know, they're going to make it happen. They're going to they're going to get it right. They're going to do their job. And, you know, that's what we're, we're trying to work here and, and get guys here, um, you know, to do on the same page. And uh, just, you know, from the experience and the practices right now, I mean, you know, like I said, it's, it's an up-tempo, you know, uh, pace. And, and, you know, it's, it definitely, uh, you know, will force defenses to make mistakes and, and right. you know, it allow us to be successful in offense. Now, this is a great time for you to impress the coaches in the Eagle organization. Have you been happy with your work over the, over these past few weeks? Yeah, I've been extremely happy with my work. I feel like, you know, each day in and out, I'm getting better. Uh, you know, learning the systems, learning the defense. Uh, you know, you're learning the ins and outs. And then at the same time, uh, you know, it's just, you know, just the, the, the program here and the way that it's structured allows you to, you know, be able to perform at a high level and, and it allows you to uh, maximize your 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 productivity, you know, day in and day out as a player. Right. We're talking to Eagles defensive end Everett Brown. And Everett, last season you were you were not in the league. Last time you played was with the Chargers in twenty eleven after getting released by the Lions last summer. What did you learn about yourself during your time out of the league? Man, that's that's a great question. I mean I I, I learned, you know, whoever Brown is, you know, because it was very challenging being out of the league. It was very challenging, uh, you know, having to go during the seasons, you know, each and every Sunday, you know, at home watching the games. And that was a very humbling experience, and it just shows you that, you know, no matter how many mistakes you make or what has happened, you know, in the past, when you get an opportunity, you got to maximize and you got to make the most of your opportunity day in and day out. And, and, you know, and, and continue to work your craft as a player and get better day in and day out. Did you feel you didn't do that during uh, your first three years in the league? Well, you know, I felt like I got better as a player, um, you know, but, but I still, you know, had had a had a chip on my shoulder of pride, you know, that, that I had it, that I knew how to do it, that, you know, my way was going to work um, each and every Sunday, you know, and I didn't, you know, uh, you know, <clears throat> I was aware that guys was you know studying film just like I was, you know, but they were changing their game just for me each and every Sunday, and I wasn't changing my game. So, you know, it was like uh, we know exactly what he's going to do. So, you know, from a student perspective of the game, that's where I really had to grow, and I really had to take my game to another level, and and you know where I was just you know counting on speed, speed, speed. But now you got to incorporate right. power, you know, off of the speed. And that's how. That's when you're going to start winning consistently. That's when you're going to be, 
you know, much more productive player and an every down player. And that's what I had to transition into. And that's what I've that's what I've been working extremely hard to do. Um, you know, since I'll say since, you know, I've been in the league but, you know, it became more consistent since two thousand eleven and now I'm just, you know, working towards an opportunity getting back on the field and being productive and showing what I've improved on. Now you're only twenty five years old and Obviously, you didn't. As we talked about, you didn't play last year. At the time when you got released by the Lions, did you think your career possibly was over, or did you think you would get another opportunity? No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Not one thought, you know, went through my head that my career was over. You know, I had many other thoughts, um, such mm-hmm. as, you know, such as, as you know, why did this happen to me, or what did I, what didn't I do, you know, to give myself that chance, to give myself that opportunity to be. You know, on the team with the Lions, you know, especially coming off a great off season, you know, a great preseason, and and then you know coming up, quote unquote, short. You know, it was it was it was the question of what happened, what happened, what did I do? But I continue to stay ready. I continue to you know stay in shape, working out, getting ready, you know, and being prepared. You know, knowing that any day, um, you know, my number could be called, and then you know, to get to the end of the season and not be called, you know, that was disappointing to me, you know, as a person and as a player. And then, you know, literally the day after the season when I received a call from the Eagles and then I came up and I signed and I was ready to go. So, you know, I was quick to put that season, you know, behind me of uh, mm-hmm. last year not playing, you know, and then, you know, having my outlook just forward, you know, but not not being numb and not forgetting what happened last season. We're talking to Eagles defensive end Everett Brown. Do you feel like this is your last chance at being in the NFL? You know, you know, just – Everything that I've been through, you know, in these five years since my departure at Florida State, I know that there's a short window of opportunity for everything in this business. And, you know, I don't take anything for granted, and I treat every situation like it's my last. You know, first and foremost, I treat it like it's my first, and I treat it like it's my last because I know that any day now, injuries, you know, coaching change, uh, you know, scheme change. I mean, there could be anything that, you know, doesn't allow you to be on the team, so you have to go in day in and day out, maximize your opportunity, and make sure that you you continue to work your craft every day. Because if you go in every day and you get better at, at something, you know, then you're improving. But once you become, you know, stale and you're not improving, that's when that's when that's when you're on your way out the door. So, you know, I take my defensive coordinator uh, from college. You know, his his hit rule, you know, it's philosophy. I mean, you get 2% better every day, you know, at, right. at something. Did you get 2% better every day? Because at the end of a lot, you know, at the end of every day, when you add it up, that 2% adds up. So make sure you get better at something 2% every day. What does Everett Brown bring to the Philadelphia Eagles roster? He brings he brings uh, experience. I mean, in the locker room, uh, you know, he brings, you know, a threat on the field. I mean, from a an every down player now, you know, being de- having developed over the past years, uh, it brings a, an instant, you know, pass rush threat. Being able to come off the edge, being able to come from defensive end, being able to come from, you know, a defensive tackle position. I mean, anywhere on the line, now knowing schemes and being a student of the game, I can rush from anywhere. Uh, I'm going to bring a lot of energy to the field, you know, go from sideline to sideline, making effort plays down the field, and, and, and you know, giving my team every opportunity uh, to be successful. 
Now, in terms of your role at this point, obviously it's very, very early. Or do you see yourself being a stand-up uh, defensive uh, end or a stand-up linebacker, I should say, or, or in a dirt defensive end? How do you see yourself and how do you see your role at this point? Well, I see myself as, as an athlete and being able to do, you know, multiple things, you know, that the coach may ask me to do. Um, being able to cover, being able to come off the edge, being able to put my hand in the dirt, being able to go to the three technique and rush in a nickel situation. Um, you know, that's what I see myself as. Now, things we've been doing, you know, throughout this offseason program, we've been doing a little bit of everything. The coaches want to see who can do what. You know, the more you right. can do, the better. So that's why you have to be a student of the game. So, number one, you know, uh, where you're supposed to be, you know, defensively within the scheme, and then, you know, having the ability and, and knowing the mechanics to be able to play multiple positions. Definitely, definitely. And, and Everett, you got some big things going now off the field. You have your Celebrity Weekend coming up in June. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, we have our, uh, it's my third annual Celebrity Weekend, and, you know, it's going to be held in Wilson, North Carolina, which is, um, you know, where I grew up and, and, you know, where most of my family is. And, you know, Friday night we're going to have a three-on-three basketball uh, tournament, you know, for uh, all ages, pretty much middle school, you know, to adults. And it's going to be, you know, bracketed into age groups. But, you know, it's going to be, you know, a great environment. I'm definitely going to have the music playing, you know, the whole time. And, you know, it's going to be <laughs> fun for a great crowd to come out. And, and uh, you know, then I'm going to have, you know, more, you know, quite a few guys come in town to help me with this weekend and I'll make an appearance and be available to sign autographs and just make it a great, you know, a great environment and a great time for the community. You're going to bring in Chip Kelly? Go ahead. You're going to bring in Chip Kelly's DJ? (laughs) Well, you know, I I, I like his DJ, but, you know, I I consider myself to, you know, be my own DJ too at at, different times. So, you know, I've been working on a playlist now for a couple weeks and I keep, you know, I keep touching up on it, but, uh, you know, it's definitely going to be an exciting time. And then Saturday, uh, we're going to follow that up with a, with a, with my uh, football camp, you know, for, you know, from 6th to 12th grade. And, uh, you know, that's always great. You know, kids can come out and get, get a T-shirt, you know, get to eat Chick-fil-A. Uh, you know, it's going to have the music there as well, and then they're going get to get a chance to work with, you know, uh, NFL guys, former NFL guys, guys that were very successful in, at the collegiate level, and, you know, and great people at the same time because I wanted to make sure that, guy, you know, the guys I invite are also great people and, you know, right. and, and great role models. And uh, and then, you know, while that's going on, I have a family field day as well. And it means, you know, pretty much just a, you know, your, your traditional field day, you know, what kids will have in elementary school with, you know, they would have the, you know, the, the sack races, the water games. They have the big, um, you know, the, the the jumbo, you know, jumpers where they can get inside and, you know, have fun. I mean, and do things, you know, that kids do because it's all up under my foundation, which is the Everett Brown Bag Foundation, which is getting back to the basics. But, you know, what we're doing is, is uh, you know, we're preventing childhood obesity, but at the same time, you know, we want to teach and be able to inform you know, the parents as well. So we always encourage them to come to the events. Now, you talked about you're having the three-on-three tournament and the NBA playoffs are going on. I talked to you off the air. You're you're going with the heat at this point. LeBron James, man, I mean, he went off in that third quarter, 16 points in that third quarter. He was big time. Your thoughts on what you saw last night? 
Man, I'll tell you what, what I saw last night, you know, was just, it, it was history. It was history in the making because, uh, you know, you see LeBron and, and, you know, you watch him when he first comes in the NBA and then you watch how he develops, you know, not only as a player but, you know, as a person on the on the court. Um, you know, last night, I mean, you saw you saw him take his game to another level. You saw him get out of his comfort zone. He's usually not a big talker. He's usually not, right. you know, not not a. Uh, he doesn't. He try. He does, He really doesn't show his emotions. Every now and then, you know, he'll do something after a dunk or something. But last night, I mean, that, the way he played in that third quarter, you know, it, it was it was unreal because, you know, he he took himself out of his comfort zone to make his team better and help his team, you know, ultimately get the win, and. Uh, you know that that that's what I like to see, and that's great. That's you know that's just greatness right there, and and uh, you know you can definitely learn from that. You know, uh, you know watching watching that performance. Now, do you see? I I think the Heat will win this series. Do you see the Heat winning this series and ultimately beating the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA Finals? I tell you that you know they're up one in this series, and you know it's going to be tough to go in the end and and. Uh, you know, and, and get a W, but I feel like, you know, if they come out with that same energy, they'll win. And then, you know, it'll be really interesting to see them up against the Spurs because I don't know if you remember, but during the season, you know, when the Spurs came to Miami, they didn't bring their whole team. You know, they right. didn't really that, – that, that starting five didn't play the Heat. And then when the Heat went to San Antonio, that starting five didn't play. So, uh, you know, it'll be an interesting, interesting series, and uh, it'll be definitely one to watch. And the funny part about it is the Spurs almost beat the Heat in Miami, and then yeah. conversely you had the Heat who actually beat the Spurs without their big guy. So it should be very, very interesting if that series does happen. Everett, uh, last week Michael Vick came out and said he is the fastest quarterback in football. Judging by what you saw so far, is he the fastest quarterback in football in your opinion? I mean, hey. History, history speaks for itself. I've been watching Michael Vick for a long time, and you know, even going to Florida State, you know, watching him on film at, at, when he was at Virginia Tech. You know, I, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to play against him in the game, but you know, just from what I've seen, I say he's the fastest quarterback. And you know, when he had a race, you know, a few weeks back with uh, with Shady, I mean, you know, he, he did it with ease. I mean, it was very smooth. And, uh, you know, I always take my hat off to Mike Vick, you know, and, you know, I respect that guy, you know, with the utmost respect. Now, Everett, one more time, where can fans find out about your big-time celebrity weekend coming up in June? Yeah, they can they can check it out at my website, um, everettbrown.com. There you'll be able to click on the community link. You'll be able to see all the things that we have going on. And uh, also, you know, I, I tweet a lot, um, you know, on Twitter, so – at Everett Brown is my Twitter, and, uh, you know, we'll be able to get all the information out that we can and, you know, hope that hope to have, you know, as many people as we can in each event. Everett, it was a pleasure having you, man. We wish you nothing but the best of luck with your Celebrity Weekend and nothing but the best of luck with the Philadelphia Eagles. Full disclosure here, I am a lifelong Eagles fan, so I'm rooting for you, man. I'm rooting for Absolutely. you. Absolutely, and that's great. Greatly appreciate. That's one thing I find out about being in the city. Man, there's some passionate fans. This is probably the, you know, the city that I, the first city I played in with, with fans this passionate. So I'm really looking forward, you know, to getting out on the field and representing. Everett, good luck to you, man, and and let's do this again. 
Oh, absolutely. Take care. All right, thank you. Ever Brown, defensive end for the Philadelphia Eagles, and we'll see if Ever can stick on with the Eagles. I mean, he, you know, he's getting another opportunity. Guy came out of uh, Florida State with, you know, a lot of a lot of promise, and hopefully he can do what he has to do to stick on with the Eagles roster. I mean, it's definitely going to be some opportunities for him. Definitely going to be some opportunities for Ever Brown. So hopefully he can make the best of it. Switching gears now to the sport of boxing. Now, you know, Floyd Mayweather, we saw him May 4th, May Day against Robert the Ghost Guerrero, and he was impressive as always. 12-round unanimous decision over Ghost Guerrero. And after that fight, you know, we, we look around, we look at the landscape of boxing, and we say to ourselves, what is the biggest fight that can be made in the sport? What is the biggest fight that can be made in the sport? Obviously, Mayweather Pacquiao, for, for many, for a long time, was everybody was that was the biggest fight that could be made in the sport of boxing. Well, the biggest fight that could be made in the sport of boxing right now has been made. Mayweather, Canelo Alvarez. That is going to happen September 14th, Mexican Independence Day. That is going to be big. That is the fight that everybody wanted to see. That is the fight that everybody wanted to see happen. That is the fight. If, if there was one fight that we can choose other than Mayweather Pacquiao is this one. This is big. And what makes this big make what makes it big, excuse me, can't even talk. I'm so excited about this fight. But what makes this fight so big is that, you know, Mayweather going up to one, and they they decided on a catch weight at 152, but Mayweather going up in weight, we've seen Mayweather last two times he went up in weight, De La Hoya and Cotto, those guys have had some success against Floyd. Floyd, to me, is at his best at 147. So he's going up to 154, 152 to be exact, because it is a catch weight, and Mayweather was a guy who got on Manny Pacquiao many times for catchweight fights. We all know Pacquiao catchweight with Cotto catchweight with Margarito catchweight with Oscar De La Hoya. So we all know that, you know, and Floyd was very critical of Pacquiao for those catchweight fights. This is at a catchweight, 152. This is at a catchweight. And you look at this particular fight. I mean, Alvarez, I mean, this is Mexican Independence Day weekend. This is Mexican Independence Day weekend. Canelo Alvarez is a big-time boxer, and his popularity is big-time among Mexican-Americans and among uh, uh, Mexicans in general. They love Canelo Alvarez. They love cinnamon. They love him. And, you know, you look at the pay-per-view buys from the last fight that Mayweather fought against Guerrero, Showtime announced that the fight did go over a million buys, but industry sources, and this is according to ESPN.com, according to some industry sources, this fight did a little less than a million nine hundred thousand, to be exact. Well, eight hundred and seventy thousand to nine hundred thousand pay-per-view buys. So you know, at this point, with that type of number, because before that, Floyd was in the millions in terms of pay-per-views. You know, with that number, that. This particular fight, his next fight, couldn't be against a guy 
who, you know, was not big time, wasn't a big time B-lister. I mean, you look at Cotto, who was on the B-list against Mayweather last year. That was a guy who sold a lot of pay-per-views. Cotto has sold pay-per-views. So you knew after the performance that the Guerrero fight did that you knew that this particular fight, his next fight, had to almost be against Canelo Alvarez. And in a lot of ways, you know, in order for him to get those big-time pay-per-view numbers, he's going to get big-time numbers here. I mean, the all-time record is Delo, the De La Hoya Mayweather fight, which did close to 2.5 million pay-per-view buys. This is going to get up there. This could get 2 million buy, pay-per-view buys. This definitely could get 2 million pay-per-view buys. This is a fight that everybody wants to see, A. B, Floyd Mayweather is the pay-per-view king. C, Canelo Alvarez is a big-time draw. He is a big-time draw. And also, this is a fight that some believe Floyd could actually lose. Many believe that Mayweather could actually lose this fight. This is a dangerous fight, I believe, for Floyd Mayweather. This is the type of fight that people want Mayweather to take. A dangerous fight. A dangerous guy. Canelo Alvarez is a dangerous guy. No doubt about it. He has the ability. He has the talent to get it done. His last fight against Austin Trout. Some believe Austin Trout won that fight. There are some who believe Austin Trout won that fight. I thought Canelo won that fight, especially after that knockdown. That was the difference to me in that fight. But that was a close fight. That was a close fight. And a lot of people didn't think Floyd would take this fight against Canelo. Many thought maybe Floyd would go a different round. Devin Alexander, possibly. Amir Khan. Because this is a dangerous fight. And, you know, Floyd is in his second fight of a $200 million deal with Showtime. So does Floyd want to risk that type of money? Does he want to risk that type of money, risk losing this, and and ultimately not getting the riches that could come with this contract? But obviously Mayweather made the fight. And obviously I believe Mayweather knows that this is a fight he can win. And I think, you know, this is going to be a good fight. This is a fight I'm looking forward to. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see this fight. This is going to be a good fight. The last time we saw Mayweather at 154 against Cotto, Cotto got some shots on Mayweather. Cotto tagged him a little bit. Granted, the fight wasn't all that cl- It was competitive, but in reality, it really wasn't all that close. Competitive, but you knew at the end of the day who won that fight after 12 rounds. You knew who won that fight after 12 rounds. And other than what? His last Other than what? 2007 against De La Hoya. That was the only time that you really truly had questions about whether or not Floyd won the fight when they went to the scorecards. And a lot of people had Floyd winning that fight against De La Hoya, but De La Hoya did have some success against Floyd in that particular fight. It wasn't definitive. It wasn't definitive that Floyd had won that particular fight against Oscar De La Hoya after 12 rounds. Because I, I remember, well, recently, as they re-aired the Mayweather-De La Hoya fight, I, I recently watched it. And Bob Sheridan, 
Colonel, the Colonel Bob Sheridan, uh, who did the world, who was the announcer for the world feed for the Mayweather De La Hoya fight, actually had that fight as a draw. That fight was actually a draw, according to Bob Sheridan, the Colonel. So the point I'm trying to make is, other than that particular fight, and I, of course the first Jose Luis Castillo fight, other than those fights, when you went to the scorecard with Floyd Mayweather, you knew that Floyd Mayweather play. I can't even talk. You knew that Floyd Mayweather had won the fight. You knew it. Each and every time you went to the scorecards, other than Oscar De La Hoya in 2007, and other than the first Jose Luis Castillo fight, you knew Floyd Mayweather had won that particular those particular fights. This could be different against Canelo Alvarez. This could be different. And Alvarez is definitely going to come in to this particular fight with the advantage in terms of weight. I mean, you know, Alvarez has been known to blow up to 170 pounds after making weight. He's been known to do that. Floyd doesn't really go up too much in weight. So that's something to keep in mind. The weight advantage is obviously going to be in favor of Alvarez, size is going to be in favor of Cinnamon, Canelo Alvarez. This is going to be a big-time fight. This is a fight that I have a lot of interest in. This is a fight where I'm going to drop my $60 to watch. I dropped 60 to watch Mayweather Guerrero, and that was a thing of beauty for Floyd. I'm going to have to – I'm definitely going to drop 60 for this particular fight. I'm definitely dropping 60 here. And I'm going to get my money's worth. I truly believe I'm getting my money's worth on September 14th. I truly believe I'm getting my money's worth. I really do. And this is going to be a big-time fight between these two guys. Big-time fight. And again, many people did not ex- expect Mayweather to go after Alvarez at this point. Many did not expect that to happen. And you knew at some point, well, you knew that, at least I did, that Mayweather would have to think about a catch weight in this particular situation. Because going into this fight, you know, you, you would have to say that the advantage would be with Alvarez. In terms of the size, obviously. Alvarez is a natural 154-pounder. Floyd is best at 147. Some believe he could be even better at 140. So you have to say advantage Alvarez at this weight. And that's just in terms of the weight. But other than that, in terms of skills, in terms of speed, you have to say Mayweather. But in terms of power, you have to say Alvarez. And because of that power and that size, you have to give Alvarez a legitimate chance in this fight. September 14th, mark it on your calendars. That's going to be a big-time fight. 
That is going to be a big-time fight, and that is a fight I'm looking forward to. I mean, I was excited when I heard that this fight was being made, absolutely, positively excited. I wanted to go dance in the streets. I wanted to dance in the streets. I wanted to. Maybe I can. I still can. Maybe I still can dance in the streets and celebrate this big fight coming up. I want to go back to the NBA now, and as I said before, the Miami Heat up 3-2. Birdman Anderson is suspended tomorrow for Game 6. I think Pacers win Game 6, but I think ultimately the Heat win Game 7 and win the series in 7. But will the Heat have enough to beat the San Antonio Spurs? Will they have the firepower to beat the San Antonio Spurs? LeBron James is going to be have to be even better, I believe. Well, just as good because he's been absolutely special in these playoffs. But he's going to be He's going to have to be just as good, if not a little better, to beat the San Antonio Spurs, especially with Dwayne Wade not being at his best, averaging only 15 points a game in this series. He's going to have to be big, and that is LeBron, meaning LeBron James. And the Heat are going to have to get more production out of Bosh and Andy Wade if they want to beat the San Antonio Spurs. I had the Memphis Grizzlies win in that series. I didn't expect the San Antonio Spurs to beat the Grizzlies, and I definitely did not expect the Spurs to sweep the Grizzlies. And that's exactly what they did. They swept the Grizzlies. But my focus is on the Miami Heat, and you look at the Heat in these playoffs, with the teams that they played in these playoffs in terms of firepower, Chicago Bulls, they were depleted. They were a depleted basketball team. So in terms of scoring, it was Nate Robinson, Jimmy Butler, Rip Hamilton. You look at the Indiana Pacers in terms of scoring. They're not a team that's going to they're not the type of team that's going to fill it up. They're not the type of team that's going to fill it up. They're just not. They're not a filled-up type of team. They're not. They're not going to fill it up. They're not going to fill it up. And you look at, in terms of points per game in these playoffs, look at points per game. The leader was the Denver Nuggets. Golden State was number two. Number three was the San Artisans. Is, was is the San Antonio Spurs. They're number three, averaging 101 points per game. Miami Heat are six at 98.5 points per game. But you look at the teams that the Miami Heat have played in these playoffs. Milwaukee Bucks, a team that the Heat beat, only averaged 85 points a game in the playoffs. Indiana Pacers, This team has only averaged 92 points per game in the playoffs. Chicago Bulls, that team has only averaged 91.9 points per game in these playoffs. So, 16 teams qualify in the NBA playoffs. 16 teams make the playoffs. The Miami Heat have played the the, the, the 10th, the 11th, 
and the 14th ranked teams in scoring in these playoffs. The Pacers are 10, the Bulls are 11, and the Milwaukee Bucks are 14. So, three of the six teams who scored, who averaged the least amount of points in these playoffs have played the Miami Heat. Conversely, San Antonio Spurs, the, Denver, uh, the Golden State Warriors, they were a team that averaged 102 points per game. San Antonio played them. San Antonio beat them. And that really, I mean, that was a good series, by the way. That was a very good series. And, you know, you you, you thought maybe Golden State could pull that series out, especially the way they played the first couple of games in that series. You thought possibly Golden State had a legitimate shot to pull it out. But they didn't. So you look at San Antonio, they played Golden State. They played the Lakers, who, you know, they were depleted, obviously. And the Grizzlies, team that averaged 94 points per game. San Antonio, to me, is a team that has firepower. They're a team that can fill it up. They're a team that can score the basketball. They really can. And the Miami Heat, to this point, and obviously the Miami Heat are a very good defensive basketball team. The Miami Heat are a very good defensive basketball team. No doubt about it. They are a defensive basketball team, but they their defense really has not been tested. Really has not been tested. And then you look at the regular season numbers. I mean, Indiana, 23rd in scoring. Chicago, tied for 28th in scoring in the NBA. And the Milwaukee Bucks, another team, they were 12th in scoring. But, I mean, you look at San Antonio, conversely, and the team's, that they played in these playoffs, Golden State, seventh in scoring, seventh-rated team in scoring. The Memphis Grizzlies, they were at the bottom there, 26th in scoring. They were near the bottom of the league in scoring. And then you also look at you look at the Grizzlies, who the Spurs played. You look at um, the uh they played the Grizzlies in the first. They played the Grizzlies in the second round. Excuse me, I'm all confused at this point. But they played the Grizzlies in the first round. Played the Warriors in the second round. Played the Grizzlies in the conference final. Excuse me. Played the Warriors in the second round and played the Lakers in the first round. Lakers were a depleted team, but the Lakers did average 102 points per game. But that was with Kobe Bryant, Steve Nash, and everybody else. But the point I'm trying to make is this. Here, here's my overall point. I look at this NBA Finals, and we're not there at this point, and the Miami Heat still have to win another game, but I think that will happen. I, I think that definitely will happen. But here's my thing. Here's, here, here's where I'm looking at it. The Miami Heat defensively truly have not been tested in these playoffs from the standpoint of teams with a lot of firepower. San Antonio Spurs were a team that was fourth in scoring in the regular season, and third in scoring in these playoffs. So they're a team that fills it up. They're a team that can score the basketball. 
the Miami Heat, the Bulls haven't tested them. The Pacers really have not tested them in terms of what they can do on the offensive end other than their bigs. And the Bucks, the Bucks did not test the Miami Heat. That really was not a series. That was a four-game walkover. Bottom line is this. Even if the Miami Heat get by the Indiana Pacers, which I think they will do, it's going to be tough for the Miami Heat, as far as I'm concerned, to beat the San Antonio Spurs. Parker's going well right now. Timmy D still getting it done, turning back the clock. And, of course, Ginobili. The Spurs are going to be tough. They're going to be very, very tough to beat in the NBA Finals, whether it's the Heat or the Pacers. They're going to be tough to beat, very tough to beat. And, again, they can fill it up. They can fill it up because of their ability to fill it up. They're going to be tough to beat. And look at in these playoffs, I mean, Parker averaging 23, but Duncan averaging close to 18 points per game. And you remember, a lot of people forget this, but earlier in this season, people were talking about Tony Parker as a possible MVP candidate. You know, a lot of people were saying maybe Parker would be the MVP of this league. Not LeBron James, but Tony Parker. We were talking about Tony Parker. Injuries kind of derailed that for Tony Parker. But Tony Parker was going well earlier in this season and and had a great season. He had a great season. So the Spurs, Tony Parker was big against the Grizzlies. He was big time, including 37 in in a game four clincher. 37. 37 points in the game, in a game clincher, in a series clincher, I should say. So he's going to be tough. The Spurs are going to be tough. They're going to be tough to beat, whether it's the Heat or the Pacers. And with Dwayne Wade seemingly not 100%, this is going to be a very interesting NBA Finals if the Heat can move on. And I think they will but it will take a game seven to do so. But they will move. They will move. And I think it's going to be in a game seven. Switching gears to baseball now. How about the New York Mets? The New York Mets. And if you're a fan of New York baseball, Subway Series, the New York Mets, the 22 and 29 New York Mets, the New York Mets were nine games out of first place in the NL East. Those New York Mets, who are now on a five-game win streak. But the New York Mets swept the Los Angeles, not the Los Angeles Lakers. The, the, they swept their fellow New York counterparts, the Yankees. Swept them. Four games set in the Bronx. Swept them. Swept them. Excuse me, a two-game set. I said four-game set. I'm corrected. It was a two-game set. But it was a sweep. 
It swept it like the Yankees. And, you know, you're the Mets have been struggling late. Have been struggling lately. Definitely have been struggling of late. And I said two-game set. It actually was a four-game set, like I said initially. But, I mean, the, the Mets go in and they sweep the Yankees. It was a split series, two in, two in New York and, well, all in New York, but two in the Bronx and two at City Field. But a sweep by the Mets nonetheless. The lowly Mets. If you're a Mets fan, this was your World Series. This was your World Series. This was your World Series. This is the closest you're going to get to a World Series. Probably in a long time. This was your series. This was your season. This was your World Series. And you swept the Yankees. Beat them two times in the Bronx. Beat them two times in City Field. You got the sweep. Mets are on a five-game win streak, 22 and 29, though, and they're not a good baseball team. And let's be real, it's not going to get better for the New York Mets. But, hey, at least Mets fans can have some bragging rights over the Yankees. At least Mets fans can celebrate. This is their World Series, so they can celebrate. Mets fans can celebrate. They can dance in the streets. This is their, that was their World Series. That was their World Series. And they had some success against the Yankees. Four out of four swept the Yankees. Swept them. The big-time Yankees. Well, the Yankees, who are, are in second place in the AL East, but have been playing some good baseball throughout the course of the season. Don't know how they're doing it with all their injuries, but they're finding a way to do it. Don't know how, but they're finding ways to do it. Finding many, many ways to do it. And for them, and for them, they are now World Series champions. No, not. The Mets are not World Series champions. But that was their World Series. That was their World Series. That was their World Series, folks. That's the closest they'll get to it. Mets fans, enjoy, because you're not getting. That's that's the that's the biggest joy you will have this season. That will be the that is the biggest joy you'll have this season. Your sweep of the Yankees. Going back to football now, Tim Tebow. Now, according to an ESPN the Magazine article, Tim Tebow and members of Tim, not necessarily Tim Tebow, but members of Tim Tebow's camp, they are privately admitting. They are admitting Privately, of course, that Tim Tebow NFL career could be over. They are privately admitting. People in his inner circle are privately admitting that the career of Tim Tebow could be over. Could be over. 
And you look at that and you're saying, wow. Not completely surprising, especially if he's not willing to change positions. Not completely surprising if he's not willing to change positions. But you would think in the in a, in this NFL with who, you know, I mean, in this NFL, there are not a lot of great quarterbacks. Let's be real. There are not a lot of great quarterbacks in the NFL. You would think a guy who's won as many playoff games as Tony Romo won, you would think a guy, and we all know what happened with Tony Romo, he got paid $55 million in guarantees, more than Joe Flacco, who actually has won a Super Bowl. But you look at Tim Tebow. Now, I've been one of these guys who who has been saying, who has been on record as saying that Tim Tebow is not an NFL quarterback. I, I said it before. I said it even before all this mania started. I said it that Tim Tebow was not an NFL caliber quarterback. Now, I still kind of feel that way, to be honest with you. That part has not changed. But the fact to me that he's not getting another opportunity, and I understand why he's not getting another opportunity, and I'll get to that in a moment. But the fact that a guy who, you know, you look at the Denver Broncos at the time that he stepped in, Denver Broncos, I, I say it all the time, but they were left for dead. They were one and four. One and four. They were thinking about being an Andrew Luck and RG3 sweepstakes. That's what they were talking in Denver after five weeks. But then magic, magic, and Tebow magic, Tebow mania came on in. And all of a sudden the Denver Broncos went on a a winning streak, and all of a sudden the Denver Broncos found a way to qualify for the playoffs. I'm sure it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt that the AFC West was a bad division at the time. That didn't hurt, obviously. But the Denver Broncos were left for dead. There were a few nails in that coffin. There were a few nails in the coffin. There were a couple nails away for being left for dead. A couple nails away from being left for dead. And then Tim Tebow came in and changed the course of the season. And he only he not only changed the course of the regular season, he got them into the playoffs, and they won a playoff game. Peyton Manning and Tim Tebow got the Broncos to the same place. Granted, they did it in – they both – They got them to the same place in different ways, but at the end of the day, they got them, got the Broncos, I should say, to the same place. That is the divisional round of the playoffs. And I'm, I'm, you know, again, I don't believe Tim Tebow is an NFL caliber quarterback. I don't. I just don't. A 46% completion percentage. That That's just not going to cut it on the NFL level. That is not going to cut it on the NFL level. It's just not. It's not. 
But all he did do was win. He he won. He won. He won. He won a lot. Not a lot. But won enough to get his team to the playoffs. And then found a way to throw for 316 yards. Ironically enough, 316 against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Found a way to throw for 316 yards and beat the mighty Steelers. Many did not expect that. Many did not expect that. But again, even with all the success that he had during the 2011 season, 46.5 completion percentage. 46.5 completion percentage. Not even half of his passes were completed. It's not good. It's not good. And he only attempted 271 passes during that season. 271 passes did he throw in that season, and he only could complete 46% of them. Only could complete, complete, excuse me, 46% of his passes. Conversely, a guy like Aaron Rodgers threw the ball 552 times in the 2012 season. Tim Tebow only threw the ball 271 times in 2011 and couldn't complete half of it. Now, granted, Aaron Rodgers and Tim Tebow, it's night and day. It's night and day. But the bottom line is the reason that Tim Tebow probably won't even get a shot as a backup in this league is because of Tebow mania. Who wants the distraction? Who wants it? It's not worth it. It's not worth the possible distraction. We all saw what happened with the New York Jets. That was a distracted football team. It's not Tebow the person. It's the mania. And unless Tim Tebow renounces religion and renounces God, you know, that's the only way maybe the mania will stop. But because he is a devout Christian, he wears it on his sleeve, because of all that, there is a a segment of the population that gravitates to this guy. He seemingly is a good guy. He's a good dude. He should stay who he is, and that's a great thing. If that's what he believes and that's what he, he, he he's all about, he should continue to be all about it. I applaud him for that. I applaud anybody who, who, who stands up and believes what they believe and is willing to do whatever they got to do or willing to do and do or say whatever they have to say or do whatever they have to do to push and promote their religion. I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. So he should be applauded for for having the moral conviction that he has. He should be applauded for taking a stand. He should be applauded 
for that. Will he get another opportunity? Will he get another opportunity? Unless, judging by, unless he's, he, unless he's Tim Tebow, the fullback, or unless he's Tim Tebow, the tight end, unless he's Tim Tebow, the H-back, then I don't know if he'll get another another chance. I don't know if he'll get another chance. I just don't know if he'll get that second chance, third chance, or just another chance, period. I don't know if he'll get another chance. But the day that he was cut on April 29th, this is what Tim Tebow tweeted. He tweeted Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So, Tim Tebow believes that if he continues to trust in God, trust in the Lord, that his paths, his path, excuse me, will be straight. Can't say I disagree with him. So, that was on April 29th. Tim Tebow believes that there is a plan. Tim Tebow believes. I get the sense he believes he'll get another opportunity, I believe. I get the sense that he believes that he can be an NFL quarterback in this league. And there are some who agree. There are some who disagree. I'm not saying I believe that Tim Tebow is an NFL quarterback because I, I don't really think he is. But I will say this. I think off of what he did in Denver that one year, I think he deserves a chance. And obviously the Jets really did not think of him as a quarterback because because we all know how Mark Sanchez played last season, and if they didn't, if there was any team that should have given Tim Tebow a chance, it was his team, the New York Jets, last season. If there was any team out there that should have given Tim Tebow a, a chance, an opportunity to get on the field, it was the New York Jets. So obviously Rex Ryan. Obviously, Mike Tannenbaum, obviously the Jets organization did not believe that Tim Tebow was an NFL caliber quarterback, a starting caliber quarterback, starting NFL caliber quarterback. Obviously, they didn't believe that he could get it done as a starting quarterback in the NFL, even though a tremendous drive. And we're and we're back. We have some technical difficulties there, but we clean that up. We straighten that up, and we're back. But anyway, back to Tebow. Even though, even though 
The New York Jets needed a quarterback. Even though the Jets quarterbacks, McElroy, Sanchez, stunk up the joint, Tim Tebow could not get an opportunity. Just couldn't get, enough, couldn't get an opportunity. The Jets as an organization did not believe in Tim Tebow. That's very evident. That's very obvious. What's becoming evident and what's becoming obvious is that the career of Tim Tebow, at least as a quarterback in the NFL, could be over. Do I think, again, do I think he deserves a shot? Yes, I do. Do I think he will get a shot? Because of the mania, unless you're bringing him in as a starting quarterback, it's going to be difficult to justify bringing him in. Because of the distractions, it's going to be difficult to justify bringing him in. Because his play does not equal, or his production basically does not equal the possible distraction, I think it's going to be very difficult to bring him in. It just is. After what happened with the New York Jets and that whole situation, it, it, that was a colossal mistake by Tebow to go to the Jets, even after he had an opportunity to go to the Jaguars. It was a colossal mistake. And, you know, apparently he said he prayed about it. And, you know, like obviously, being a, being that he is a religious guy, you would assume that he prayed about that particular situation, and he decided on the Jets. He decided on the Jets. So, we'll see what happens with Tim Tebow. We'll see if Tim Tebow will get it, another opportunity in the NFL, at least as a quarterback. Well, he wasn't a good punt protector, as we saw last year with the Jets. And he really was not that good of a Wildcat quarterback, as we saw last season with the Jets. I mean, he really, really, uh, I, I thought it was a mistake for him to bulk up that as much as he did bulk up, because he was not as explosive as he was a year before with the Denver Broncos. He just wasn't. But we'll see what happens to Tim Tebow moving forward. I want to thank our guest, Everett Brown, of the Philadelphia Eagles, for stopping by. Make sure you check him out on Twitter, at Everett Brown, and check out some of the great things he has going on with his Celebrity Weekend coming up in June. We'll be back on Thursday. And on Thursday, we're expected to be joined by Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver Aurelius Ben. Also, Devin Alexander, who was unable to join us tonight, will be joining us uh, next Thursday on this show. So make sure you check us out next Thursday. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgame, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at go for again And also, make sure, make sure, make, make sure, you hit us up on YouTube, youtube.com slash user slash go for it can. For everybody here at Go For It, see you later. Take care. <laughs>